When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Welcome back to Hallelujah, an Arsenal podcast with Alexander Manipenny and my very good friends, Bradley Adams, <laughs> George V. Boys, we needed uh, Arsenal or nothing this year because I really, really want to know what on earth that whole clock business is about. Why is Mikel Arteta bringing a clock into the away dressing room? I've got a theory. No, because guys, I've guys, guys, guys. So, the, <laughs> so here it is. You know, uh, from this time to this time, this is the launch time. This is when we feast. And then from this time to this, this is the game time. This is when we feast again. Was that was that Mikel Arteta? That's, that was or? the team talk. Oh, right. No, no, no. That was that was a slightly xenophobic Mikel Arteta. That was <laughs> yeah. Just, like, just, just accurate, really. Spanish on, on brand, <laughs> on brand, if anything. <laughs> Very on brand. Go. I, I, feel, I feel as though he brings that clock every game, and we're just counting it down. So it's 11 to 14, as in the title. So it's up until the second. So do we've you, got the 11 down, and he goes to 10, 9 for every game this season. Do you really buy that? Like, legit, are you saying that? Or are you. Because I can't, I can't imagine making. I, honestly, I think. No, I think even I when we win the title, Mikel will be like, yeah, but you know, it's only one title. Do you know what I mean? Like, he feels like one of those people who just will not give it up. You can always get better in life, innit? You can always get better in life, innit? <laughs> that was more Hector Bellerin, really. I have a feeling he goes nuts. Just based off the FA Cups like celebrations, I think he's the first person to drink from the trophy. He would be the youngest manager to win the Premier League as well. For sure. So, like... Mate, yeah, he'd be the youngest is... managers if he won it. He'd be the youngest manager to win the Premier League. We'd be the youngest team on average to ever win the Premier League. Like it'd be, it'd be those guys. Ben White is gonna be doing like an a, a key, like not even just a couple of lines. <laughs> like that, that man is gonna inhale so much of the Colombian good stuff. Like his heart is going to stop and then resuscitate itself. <laughs> Like <laughs> he's he's got to get on on Summer Love Island, doesn't he? Surely, this is kind of where I wanted to start the uh, the podcast, boys. And welcome back with uh, keys. to this talking about slightly yeah, un- yeah with with, and- with imp- terrible impressions of Mikel Arteta <laughs> and cocaine. Um, <laughs> Because we are breaking our reviewers so, are going to love us this week. Yeah, yeah. Who's that guy who comments <laughs> going? Do we do we really need to hear juvenile jokes? <laughs> That's the podcast, mate. Um, we're breaking so many records. Arsenal have won eight and lost none of the last 10 Premier League matches against Fulham. Not really a particularly interesting record, but Arsenal have equaled their longest run of consecutive Premier League victories this season, five in a row. Arsenal have won a Premier League game by three plus goals with all goals scored in the first half since 2016. You just keep going through. And we've won five consecutive away London derbies, keeping a clean sheet every mm-hmm. time. The first time this has ever happened in any uh, by any capital club in Football League history. I mean, George, like... It just keeps on going. And I suppose to come to this game is kind of the thing we were saying on the Insta Reaction. It felt ceremonial. It felt kind of... It's a bit too easy. Yeah, I know. It's strange. I mean, and there's a couple other records. You know, the centuryth win for Mikel Arteta when you start talking about even just the Arsenal point tally. 
the century, if that's a word. Um, it's, it's his hundredth <laughs> win. Um, you know, and, not sure if it is George. <laughs> <laughs> we're making it one now. Um, but uh, Arsenal have matched Manchester City's highest point total after 27 games in the f- last Mate. five seasons. Like when you start to look at the record, and you know, I had this talk like on Twitter where I, I felt like we need to stop lying about the league or the opposition title challengers being weak. To do this with the youngest team and manager in the league, it surely has to be universally celebrated, but it's not. And I think a lot of people are on Twitter, and we've kind of talked about it on the pod here, but they're starting to say, look, maybe this shows that youth could be an opportunity to win a title in the future. Maybe if you do a rebuild in a certain way, you could win a title. And no, like respectfully, no. This is an anomaly. It is an outlier. And that's not to limit Arsenal. It's actually the complete opposite is to keep the due praise that it deserves because yep. to do this has been absolutely incredible and the consistency that we've shown by the way when you look at Gabriel Jesus coming back who looked good himself but not needed and Mr. Consistent big chance missed uh, absolutely <laughs> like we, we are back to what we need but ultimately I just I found this game scary I'll be honest mate because Fulham are no joke, even without Paulinho. And, and, and I know that that's the context that a lot of people will use. But when you have a look at how we dismantled their press, it was not, not just clinical, but at times arrogant. And it, it got to the point where it was a stroll in the park. It was a training session. And you shouldn't be doing that to a team fighting for European spaces who has largely been considered one of the top 10 teams in the league. And, and to do that in the context of your 100th win, in the context of now having your high, highest point total of Manchester City, who people have continuously heaped praise on as the pinnacle of football for the last five, six years. Uh, I don't know if people are comprehending the points that we have racked up in comparison to this juggernaut and this giant. And uh, again, the scariest part, mate, is how young is this team? And, and I hate this idea that Arsenal can't compete or sniff a title in the future I mean, by its very definition, if this is the baby step of this team's ceiling, what the heck is the prime? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't think people mate, realize this. Mate, we spoke, we, Brad, we spoke about this, didn't we, in this direction. It's like, I think what's going to happen is kind of what George said. It's like, people are going to say, oh, oh, well, this shows that experience isn't actually that important. Oh, actually, what this shows is, is just give a manager time and they can rebuild a club and, and, and cool. And hey, presto, Arsenal did it. So why can't we do it? And I think that is the most clear misunderstanding and misrepresentation of what is happening here this is not normal <laughs> like i i no. i put out so is, much stuff about this but it, it is not this is, normal yeah this is just history repeating itself though in a certain sense with i don't mean in the way that it's being done but people don't seem to have learned from from liverpool's kind of fall away in the last you know year that if you start making some bad decisions and wrong choices, you go from being a title contender and title winner very quickly to being just part of a chasing pack for European slots. Um, like Arsenal have gotten, have had to get every decision right. And not only have they had to get every decision right, they've had to then have Liverpool obviously fall away, which is a big contender in this. You know, the Liverpool of last season, not the Liverpool of this season. Uh, and they would be a big thorn in the side of Arsenal right now, just like this Man City is. And it's um, like the stars have aligned to allow this to happen. This is the anomaly. This is this isn't Leicester City type of anomaly, 
because we're not fluking this league. Like, like, like George said, this is the uh, we've matched City's most points after twenty seven games in the last five years. So, like, when this is in in no way some kind of swing of luck like the Leicester one, but it's just everything has come good for us at the right time, and we're playing the best football in the league. But the big myth that I think needs to be dispelled out of all of this is that the league is somehow low quality. You have teams like Bournemouth bringing in like Otara, Semenyo, Matthias Vina from... Like you have players going from Roma and Sassuolo to Bournemouth. And and no offence to Bournemouth, but they are not a big club. And you go... And they, they were linked to fucking Zaniolo for months. And you go down the list of the quality of names that has been brought into the Premier League in January alone to relegation teams like Leeds, Western McKenney, like from Juventus. And you look at the fact that the points down there, from something like 12th to bottom, it's like five points separating. That's not because... the And people are reading that as, oh, all of those teams are low quality because they've got such low points. No. The talent level is just so congested that all of the teams are struggling to pick up points against each other and against everyone to create that gap and create that distance. Because, like we've seen, anyone can beat anyone. You know, Liverpool just smacked Manchester United 7-0 and then have lost 1-0 to Bournemouth, who we were getting, you know, pelters for only beating in the last second of the game a week ago they've just gone and beaten Liverpool who were one point off the title last season and like you've said Alex two kicks of a football away from a second Premier League title so and a Champions League <laughs> and being immortal. and a Champions League and, and being that the best team ever considered you know th- three kicks of a football realistically changed the fate of that entire club and so we have to look at this and go like this isn't a shit league we're not doing this in a mass Erling Haaland is on is has literally break broken every single goal scoring record that, that that stood in this league since its creation. He's on course to not only beat the goals in a league season for thirty eight games, but for forty two games, and do it with maybe ten games remaining. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's, it's, it's just it's, mental. It's wild. Give Arsenal our fucking flowers. Like we're sick, and, and I we're think, just so good. I think long term it will happen, and you know, of course, as fans, you're going to want to protect your club and you're going to want to go for it. But yeah, it's that thing you were saying, like kind of. There's that feeling every single time something like this happens. I think it happened when Liverpool were first sort of sort of seventeen, eighteen. There was that kind of thing, like oh, it's just a, it's just a bit of a fluke league this year. Like, no, it's not. And every single season, every single season, a pundit or a couple of pundits, a mainstream pundits will come out and you see it from fans and say, oh, but next year Spurs will be back and next year United will be back and next year Chelsea will be back. It's like, how many teams are going to be back? Or they're all going to win the league, are they? Like, not all teams can be back at all times. Like, there's going to be teams that have, it's just maths. There's, te- there's teams that will have an off season by their, by their high standards. Not everyone's going to make top four and that's what it is. And, I just think there is no possible way to overstate the incredible nature of this achievement. And it is not it is not to be sniffed at. And, you know, coming to the game then, because I suppose, you know, what this is, is kind of picking up on something what you said, Brad. My word of the game is City-esque, because it is City-esque what we're doing. We're controlling football matches at an unbelievably high level. We're away at eighth. We're away at eighth and we played like that. 
Like this, th- these games should not should not be happening like that. If you watch the Bournemouth game, we have them sat in their half. I think we've got a record possession total. Go and watch the Liverpool game. I appreciate it's in a different situation, but Bournemouth have you know f- probably as good chances as Liverpool, if not if not better. And we are controlling football matches to an unbelievable level. And and George, like I think you were sort of alluding to earlier, Fulham started they had a nice man for man press they were trying to come at us i think they were probably thinking okay these guys have played on thursday they've got you know a a a tricky situation um in the europa league perhaps we can take advantage of them home home crowd get it going but once we worked out how to play through them it was curtains for sure and it kind of comes down to a point of uh kind of analyzing what we did differently in comparison to kind of previous games. Because again, I wouldn't say that this lineup has been drastically different from, let's say, our quote-unquote blip. Um, And when you start to look at kind of what's changed, you know, my biggest um, word of the game was return. And it was just a return to me of the wonderful rotations that we had been seeing pre-World Cup. But we did it with the players that I think many people felt that we couldn't do. And that for me was just the biggest part of of the day. And you you start to look at who we ended up bringing in from a substitute appearance uh, kind of standpoint and how they ended up fitting in with the team. And you just smile. And it was a day to basically enjoy the football, sit back, relax, and kind of just learn to appreciate that some of the goals that we didn't complete were team uh, or goal of the season contenders. I'm looking at Granite Shaka's miss and some of the other ones. It wasn't just a flu. I think 3-0 was very flattering in a scoreline, oddly, in terms of what the dominance that we did show. Um, but but when you had to look at it, I think some individual players returned back to form. That's why I think return is the word of the game for me. I'm looking at Granite Shaka specifically, who I thought had an excellent game, particularly on the ball. And it wasn't just from, I know we talked about the miss, but he was very good between the lines and his decision-making. Um, you know, Martinelli seemed to have, again, a return in a sense of, him being so potent off the ball, pushing Fulham back, that it was his fifth goal in five games. He's on 12 non-penalty goals in the league. That is some serious, serious numbers. And of course, uh, Trissard, when, when you have a look at his return from injury to, to do what he did, uh, was phenomenal. Um, so there was just a return to a lot of very good uh, individual quality, but also structure points that I think Arsenal had some issues with in fluidity in the left-hand side that we're not complaining about in this review. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely come to some some of that more more specifically a little bit later on in the podcast. And I want to talk about individuals because for me, the individuals were the the kind of key feature of the game in terms of returning individuals, individual performances, um, and some individuals within systems that I thought were terrific. Um, Brad, word of the game, but also I, I want to put put this to you as well statistically Fulham were fairly you know 12 shots to 15 for us uh, they had nine open play shots to our 10 um, similar you know 44% possession for them 55.4 uh, for us uh, field tilt was pretty similar they had actually had far, more final third entries but for me that statistically does not does not spell out the feeling that I have and, may, and maybe that's what it is really it's a feeling that once that first goal went in and I felt as though the fundamentals and I've, I've said this a number of times now once we get our fundamentals going, if we get those wide triangles happening, if we get those rotations going, if we're winning the win, winning the duels when the balls go long, if we're getting it out to coming in, if we're arriving in the box in a, in, the, in a nice way, switching the point of the attack, a goal will come. 
And I said, maybe it's just a feeling thing and, and perhaps a more objective view on the game would see this as uh, less comfortable considering those statistics. But yeah, your word of the game and, and your response to that. Well, you've just said my word of the game. My word of the game is fundamentals. That, I think this is a clear performance for, for that. We stuck to the principles. We stuck to the fundamentals. We played our brand of football. The press was back in full force at points when it was needed. And then we sat in, a, in in our, you know, in a mid-block when it wasn't. And I just, it that was it. Like, f- fundamentally, we did just stick <laughs> to the fundamentals. And there was oh, nothing, yo. like, there's nothing, Sign I don't think there's anything up, else to, <laughs> to gleam from that. Like, we stuck to the game plan, what we've always done and what we were told to do. And I think what this also was, for me, which... Uh, it was a return to winning games in the first half and then playing the second half in in second gear. And I think that's why Fulham had a resurgence into the game. I think that's why the stats read the way that they do. I'd be interested to read the first half stats versus the second half stats because of what it felt like is we blew them out of the water for 45 minutes and decided to save some gas in the tank for, for sporting and for Palace before the international break because the game was, was won and there was no point us as much as goal difference could play a big part in the title race and in you know the running or whatever there was no point chasing four five and six at the detriment of your energy levels for the next two games that are coming up that are also must wins before the international break when we've got the injury problems that we have so i i think it's a game of two halves, but both of them were controlled by Arsenal just in very, very different ways. In the first half, we put Fulham to the sword. And in the second half, it, we held them at, like a little brother with a palm on their forehead just at arm's length. And people did what they had to do. Ramsdale came up with big saves when he needed to. The defenders came up with big moments when they needed to. The midfield controlled the ball well. And we, we counterattacked and we broke when we thought it was appropriate. And I think that's kind of what this new Arsenal team it can be so excellent at is just destroying games so quickly that then a team has to do something spectacular to get back into it and we're so good at managing them not doing that yep it certainly was a game of two halves 45 in each um also lol at Willian ducking the Arsenal test very funny um George, I wanted to come back to you on uh, on a couple of individuals. Um, firstly, Trossard. Uh, I think he, you know, there's all sorts of conversations going on on social media about, you know, who's the, is he the best January signing of this window the last couple of years? Well, you know, we could possibly go down that path. But to be honest, I'm way more interested in this guy's function and what this guy could do for us as well as what he's he has done and the, the the roles that he could fill in. I would be more than happy to see Leandro Trossard play on the left, play left eight, play right eight, play centre forward. I'm interested to see what we do on the right, uh, far right with uh in sort of Saka's role. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be averse to seeing him right eight. Like I think this guy could play in any of our front five positions because of his control and ability on the ball and his ability to turn in what seems like he can get the ball into his other foot like 
in the space of a millimeter and in this and in a nanosecond it's just an incredible ability to to change feet change sides and switch uh switch what he's doing i can't believe we signed this guy for the fee we did um the talent level is is insane but yeah ju- just just in terms of his his raw ability i mean yeah what's your what's your feelings on trossard uh special player um and like very many people that we've signed of recently versatile to multiple positions as you've mentioned i think in the instant reaction pod when we were talking kind of waxing a little bit like, lyrical i kind of patreon.com for such not yeah yeah no uh no join the members club <laughs> exactly there we go um but for me it was the fact that he kind of offered himself in the first phase that's something i didn't really see in his first couple cameos and that's what really got me excited um it was very santi cazorla-esque the way that he would receive in his own box uh fake a pass and kind of get us going i can very much see and why that gets me excited by the way is because we all thought this was a short-term deal this was a bridge to allow younger attackers to kind of express themselves with the freedom, with the inconsistency that provides, knowing that we've got an experienced pro to fill in the front line. That was the, the mantra that a Trossard represented. I don't know if that's quite right. Could we see a transition that once that's done after a year, that he moves into midfield like you're talking about as an option in terms of a left or a right eight? I think that's very much on. And the reason that is is because of his close control and his, and his quick feet in tight spaces, but also his footballing brain of knowing when to combine with who and where, I find that he's very, very good and efficient with the ball. That's the first thing that I think we all said when we signed him. And we can talk about the ball striking with both feet, which is excellent, but it's just his ball usage is so efficient. To me, that screams midfield interior, always. Whenever I find a player that is so aware of his surroundings, that is so able to receive in any direction and know what pass to make and where, my mind gets excited that you don't have to isolate that player to a particular side, to a particular third. That's the type of player that really breaks kind of games. And when you start to talk about what we could be facing in the future, um, we've kind of talked about the potential of a 2-2-6, the potential of a low block. Where do you fit a player like a Trossard? Well, the answer is anywhere, wherever he wants to be, because he is just that good in his decision-making on the ball. Um, so I was very happy in terms of the individual bits of play, but what got me excited was definitely the build-up and what he offered himself as a plus one. Um, that was definitely something that I felt gave him kind of his, uh, his uh, man-of-the-match performance, if, we, if we'll say. If you can hear a smile creeping into George's voice, it's because Brad's <laughs> just put the stupidest joke I've ever seen. I'm not going to read it out. I'm not even reading that out. Um, Brad. George said it and it just, it just made me giggle. Only, you'll never know, listeners. Only Kevin De Bruyne with 12 and Bukayo Saka with 9 have provided more Premier League assists this season. Trossard with 7. He's also scored 8 goals. Um, his game by numbers yesterday, 54 touches, 7 crosses. One possession six times, four chances created, three touches in the opposition box, and of course three assists um, and two big chances created. I suppose sometimes I like looking at players and going, okay, well, what what's your superpower? Like, what is the thing that makes you okay? We expect Premier League footballers to be able to pass a ball and control the football. That's, there's no, you know, it's it's no real um, sort of uh, it's, it, it, that's a standard. That's something we we should expect, right? But I think with Trossard. The word that I'm arriving at, or the, the the phrase I'm arriving at, is ball retention. 
And then it's the question of like where you want that ball retention. Do you want that ball retention on the left? How do you want that ball retention to operate with your other players? Do you want someone who's running mm. off him? Do you want someone who's in behind him? Do you want someone who's combining with him? Like what do you what do you want and where do you want it? And having someone who is so comfortable on the ball, who is so comfortable in different zones on the pitch, not only facilitates your positional play, but also for me creates so many opportunities. And, you know, like, as, as George was kind of alluding to, when you sign someone like Trossard in January, um, seemingly after missing out on Madrid, or perhaps obviously after missing out on Madrid, you sort of go, okay, as George was saying, he's kind of a bridge player. But I'm looking at him, I'm going, okay, but why can't he be our, I'm not comparing them in terms of ceiling or even necessarily quality because I don't think that he's as good, but why can't he be Arbonaldo Silva or Phil Foden? Someone yeah, who, in my head. Someone who could play in a variety of different locations, someone who could be an extremely useful squad player because ultimately what he does is he doesn't lose you the ball. He does not lose the ball. And and therefore it's like, where do you want that? And Cazorla, it was someone, you know, Cazorla was, was very similar in terms of you could stick him on the wing and he wouldn't lose you the ball. He'd, keep, he'd hold on to it, but he, that became more and more useful centrally. And I wonder, um, Brad, if you if you see him coming centrally and, and yeah, just what you, your take on his performance yesterday. I think as well, because we're part of a generation brought up on FIFA and we're part of a generation brought up on on lots of different types of football content, we're so used to seeing football through a binary lens of like, oh, Arsenal play a 4-3-3. We don't. Like, we play like a 2-3-5 with the ball and then sometimes we sit in a 4-4-2 block. Sometimes we... Do you know what I mean? It's It's so... Fluid, And I think that when we have this conversation about can he move centrally, it kind of brings people to the idea, oh, oh is he a central midfielder? Is he going to play like Granit Xhaka? Do you know what I mean? Rather than understanding the kind of fluidities of the game. And I think it, it's he's definitely a player I could see playing in, in, in one of those two eight roles, especially with the way that we like Erdegaard to play, the way that we've seemingly been training Vieira to play in that left eight role at least once this season I would love to see the the lineup of Partey, Erdegaard and Trossard as a midfield three and then Saka, Martinelli and Jesus as a front three because the interchange that you get there the ball retention that you get there and the the app the just the squeeze that you can put on a team with the pressing as well like is is he can press like he's he's he is probably arsenal's best swiss army knife in that you could put him at any of the five positions and he would just be what he is and be as good as he like it, whereas other people you will see a drop off if you change them from right to left or, or yada, 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 he is that that utility, that kind of, uh, it's not a Stanley knife, what is it? Swiss, Swiss Army, Army knife. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he is that Swiss Army knife you put 100%. across the, that front five and he will do what he does to the level that he does it. There's going to be no drop. Um, and much like, yeah, much like Santi, I think especially in some games this season, uh, he'd have been brilliant in the midfield for us, especially earlier in the season. Like there, there are games that you just go having that retention, that kind of tight, close control and ability to wriggle out of space would have been would have been so useful 
especially in games like Newcastle when the midfield was so congested, having that ability to just keep the ball and turn on a sixpence and fire it off would have been just so, so good. Yeah, and he's got such a... I think I, I said it similar, uh, something about Martinelli, that something I hope he learns off Trossard is his ability to get a shot off. I think one of my criticisms of Martinelli is, you know, he's such a good player in so many ways, but sometimes I worry, and actually in general as well in this team, I sometimes worry that we're such a collaborative team that at times the final action feels like it's one step too late and we get pushed to the byline or whatever. And sometimes I'm just like, just shoot, I just go for it. And I think Trossard is definitely one of those players. Um, George, I want to come to you because I want to focus on um, another area of our pitch, um, which is our centre-backs. I was feeling in the first sort of period of the game that I wanted a little bit more from them in terms of line breakers. And I feel like that's something possibly a development, a developmental place for them. But other than that, I am so, so happy with them at the moment. I mean, and two, just two points to pick out before I, I let you, uh, uh, Brad once said on the podcast, loose your arrows of fury, but perhaps you could loose your arrows of love uh, on these guys. Uh, one moment was for Saliba, it was the Dan James moment where Dan James, one of the, probably one of the quickest players in the league certainly just strides across pushes him off the ball and pushes it out for a for a corner so simple such a good large space defender and then Gabriel screaming in joy at making a half decent block sort of 90 plus three minutes and those guys who not only are incredible on the ball are incredible at facilitating our play and people who you need who you need ultimately who are going to have your most touches in a game but people who love defending as well. And we are so lucky with them. And I, and I don't think there is a better centre-back pairing in the league. Which is scary to say when you look at their ages. You know, uh, again, we kind of talked about it in the instant reaction in terms of has there been precedent for, again, Gabrielle just turned 24, but was there precedent prior to the season of a U23 centre-back partnership? Not competing for the league, but competing for top four. And it was probably only Dayuta Babacano and Ibrahim Kanate that you could have a sample for that. But beyond that, no. And so when you start to look at kind of what they offer as players, like really quickly, again, for the bingo, there it let's is. break down kind of what profile you think that both of these players are. Of course, they're both big space defenders. We get that. We, we get that they're both aerial uh, or large framed, let's say. And so you, you'd think that they're aerially dominant. Fucking but... massive. Yeah, that's the word <laughs> I think you're looking for. Um, Fucking but... massive. But I think that it's a little bit more complicated than that because when I start to look at kind of what they both offer in terms of their instincts and how they'd like to progress the ball, both are actually quite different. For example, William Saliba himself, he is more of a carrier than he is of a passer. He's got an excellent range, but by instinct, he himself is far better when he's carrying the ball. And we saw a part in the first half that I think I want to highlight. Do you guys remember that one dribble? And he has a pop shot off that, again, ball always yes. rising. But yeah. it was it was Amazing. brilliant. And I think that is 10% of the iceberg potential when I start to talk about how highly I rate this boy. Um, you know, I think that we're starting to see little bits of play where we see that in addition to the, the build-up to the second goal where he's drawing in center backs and he makes a beautiful switch, weak foot out to Granit Xhaka to break us out of the press after drawing in so many Fulham players. Like, this is not normal. The maturity to do that um, from a player who, again, guys, it's in his first season with Arsenal. I, I know we all know his talent. It's just, to me, it screams um, different. 
he's built different. I think is what the kids are saying. And you know, it's like he's got he, a different knock. Do you know what I mean? Perhaps <laughs> you could say, for example, <laughs> you could say that. You, and when the different you, knock George knocks, is like, I absolutely don't want to say that. George is like, no, <laughs> nah. I'm absolutely not saying but, that. You said that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree with you. Like when I was looking at kind of things in the first half about trying to see, could they step out? And I'm seeing these little tidbits from, you know, William Saliba. And then I look at Gabriel and the improvement he's made on the ball in terms of his ability between the lines. And then when I look at what he came to the club as, which was a defensive monster, somebody who properly enjoyed defending, but maybe struggled in the, in the parts of progressing the team up the pitch. I think that you have a centre-back pairing that complements exactly what each other needs. William Saliba is somebody that wants to express himself on the ball. Gabriel, he's uncomfortable at parts of that, but he loves to defend. And you need that in a partner. When you look at your best centre-back partnerships, you need that kind of yin and yang to know in what phase of the play that you're going to dominate. And a lot of people have been talking about leadership, aura, all of these things. In my opinion, these two take turns. They are both leaders in the specific parts of the game that they love. And, you know, they have a beautifully telepathic understanding of each other. Um, and I just think that each of them complements what the other lacks. You know, when you look at William Saliba, he struggles with balls into the box, sometimes judging aerially. What is Gabriel? An aerial beast in the box. No matter what, he will solve that. Gabriel, is he the greatest in terms of starting progression out from the back? Not quite, but William Saliba is probably one of the best center backs in the world bar Diet Upamecano, ironically, at bringing the ball out from the back in either a dribbling sense or even a passing sense. And so you just have two centre-back pairings that are now on the same wavelength, one mind, and it becomes a formidable partnership that basically allows you to compete for the title in one of the highest lines in the league, and you're doing it at just an anomaly rate once again. Yeah, no, I think that's really well, uh, really well outlined. Um, and Brad... They are fucking massive, to be fair to them. Um, fucking massive. Fucking massive. No, they're, ju- they're just, yeah, they're, they're an insane pairing. And I'm, we are so, 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 I don't say lucky to have them, but but it is, it's Mikel's talent ID. Like, you know, it's that ability to, to have that foresight long-term and go, okay, I've got these guys coming. Who's going to suit each other? What, what kind of, what, not only what football am I going to play, but how am I going to get these guys to understand that, to translate that to the pitch? What profiles do I need? What, you know, getting those in and getting that all, everything lined up from the wages to the contract, to the training, to the what's coming on the pitch. And you get this perfect fit and it's, it's absolutely insane. And, you know, again, Trossard is just another example of, of, of talent ID. You know, I was watching um, Palace against uh, Man City. I don't hate Vieira's ideas. Michael Elise is a dickhead. <laughs> okay. He's a Dickhead. Not going to be hanging around here, babes. Not playing for some small championship team much. What, what does he say? He's like, have you seen that? The screenshots of him like, yeah. flirting with some girl. Jesus Christ. Um, anyway, I was watching that and I was like, I don't, I don't hate, I don't think he's like a genius tactician, but like I didn't hate the idea, you know, like sitting deep, compact. They stopped uh, uh, City going on the overloads. They got out of them quickly. Fine, 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 fine. His problem is talent ID. Like he, what, what, they need is someone to feed their forward players. They needed someone who can either take it on the half turn and get it forward to Zaha and Elise and Eze or whatever. They need someone in the midfield who could control that. And they went and got Sambi Lekonga. And like Sambi Lekonga, fine player, but he's a 3pm sunny day at the Emirates player. He's not someone who's going to push someone out of the way and get it forward. They needed someone for me who was going to knock it off to someone like Zaha and Eze or whatever and someone who could be a fulcrum or a focal point up front. 
They got Mateta's not quite worked out and they've also signed Edouard. It's this talent idea, this ability to see and and get exactly what you need in a team and go into the market and get those negotiations right, get the right person in. It's an incredibly difficult skill. And it's, it's that thing that separates you. You may have the best ideas in the world, but if you can't get the tools that are going to put across your ideas, not only in the market, but also on the training ground, there's nothing you can do. And that's just another incredible part of Mikel's um And also the tools set. for the right price. Yeah. The yeah. we paid pretty much the same price for Saliba and Gabriel around twenty seven million pounds. City alone paid more for Ruben Diaz. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um let's let's get to the goals. Uh we had the disallowed goal. Uh Martinelli coming in behind Kenny Tete. Uh Leno hits it into Anthony Robertson and uh it starts off not the best afternoon for the lad. <laughs> Uh, but it definitely was offside. But then we had, of course, the uh, Gabriel header. Set pieces, we've been discussing, George, uh, a little bit on the pod uh, for the last couple of weeks, but I think we're now joint top with 12 for for goals scored from set pieces, which is mad to me, considering how much we've talked about set pieces. But I suppose from a defensive perspective, I think there was one late on in the game where someone got a free header and I was going, oh, God. Um, But from from an attacking perspective, we're... We're killing it. It's why I tried to provide the nuance in some of the previous pods because I don't felt, do that. Listen, Not on this pod, mate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we are dick jokes, <laughs> FC. Nothing else. There's no nuance here. We talk about ball usage, and that's it. <laughs> well, exactly. And I think um, you know when you when you have a look at our offensive set pieces, you're right. We are tied for the most in the league, but it's beyond that. I felt that we've been very variable and how we approach our set pieces. And when you have a look at it, this is fairly route one, by the way. Trissard, lay in the mix zone. Gabriel, get up there, son. Get your head on it. And boom, goal. Force Leno to come out, which he doesn't like to do. And let's get it done. But it wasn't just that, because I felt like there were so many times in this match where we went short to try to draw Fulham deep. And it led to kind of a a free opening at the top of the box. And look, this is something that we've talked about on this pod. Uh, before and I just think that Nicholas Yeover doesn't get the uh, praise that he deserves for one aspect of the set pieces lately which has been the offensive ones they're incredibly variable they have excellent routines and it's quite often that we find the opposition scratching their heads why we've left somebody open and and I think it does come down to the fact that we have such different uh, ways to attack the box whether near or back post um, that he's been very creative with the only thing is I wish we carried that same intensity in defensive set pieces because I agree, I think it's something that we've struggled with only of recent, but I will say I think it's a concentration issue because from a standpoint of who to mark, we're okay structure-wise. It's just the assignments have always been weird and the individual mistakes have always been weird. But on the goal, excellent. And just to end with, Trossard being trusted to do set pieces just adds to the Trossard praise of earlier. I think that's pretty significant particularly in a team right now that, again, it's probably lacking Gabriel Jesus, let's say, but most people are back. In order to be kind of a technical leader, you put those on your set pieces, very, very typically. And um, I, I love the fact that he's trusted with it, and I think he does an excellent... Taking whip. Martinelli off them as well. A- absolutely. Well, that's a difficult conversation to have, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, and, and that's why I bring it up, because I don't think it's as simple as saying, listen, Trossard, you have a go this time. I think it's been very purposeful. And by the way, he had an excellent cross for Martin Odegaard's goal that we'll talk about later like I just think his delivery in wide spaces but even in central areas is phenomenal 
And I do think delivery is something that we could maybe focus on in the pod because it wasn't just him. Ben White with a beautiful weak foot delivery um, from the right-hand side, which Martinelli should do better in scoring. But another player that I felt, like I've said, has a very good crossing variety. And I think that's been the biggest benefit to this set-piece renaissance, let's say, uh, that allows us to be so creative. Because we have so many players, when you start to think about it, that have a large variety of crosses in their locker. Um, you haven't even talked about Fabio Vieira, by the way, who arguably has probably got one of the better deliveries in the squad. But there's so many people that can offer this ball. I think it makes it easy for a set peach coast to kind of deliver new ways when you've got so many players that can consistently hit uh, people yep. wherever they want. And it can give you yeah, all sorts of different deliveries. Um, yeah, I think that first goal is a is a... Yeah, a good example of that. And it's also just, you know, just frankly, desire spelt with a Y-A-H at the end of it um, from Gabriel, which is was important. The second goal, Brad, was my favourite um, because it won't come up, on, from won't come up on the yeah. highlights. But what's happening for the last minute or so before that is we're being patient, we're being diligent, and it's not just sort of smacking it around the back waiting for an opening it's it's trying to manipulate it's trying to get them to commit Saliba then gets a moment spots his opportunity Jack is in space lovely left footed board and we're away um, and obviously it's uh, it's a nice to see Martinelli score a goal it's nice to see him score a header to be honest I think I, I think the story of the goal itself is yes of course Trossard's uh, deliveries which we just talked about but also to be honest Anthony Robinson's woeful <laughs> defending but to be honest the 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 credit for me there is all in that build-up yeah i think there's some credit in the and this is why i said on the instant reaction that martinelli is a nine and the way that he uses his body to take robinson out of the game by the way that he positions himself and stands himself up robinson either has the decision to climb over the top of him and maybe give away a penalty to try and get to the ball or just try and do a little challenge to kind of put him off a little bit because the positioning is so in is so incredible so i want to give that a shout out but you're right in that the the story of this get of this goal or the arc of this goal is the fact that for 60 seconds previously we were playing it around the back not in a u-shape to just play the kind of elbow of death but to to manufacture what we wanted and the space that we wanted and you know it it you've got three brilliant deliveries in a row a brilliant delivery from Saliba to Xhaka a brilliant pass from Xhaka to Trossard a brilliant ball from Trossard in and then you know a great finish it's it reminds me a bit of the the Southampton goal from last season in that it's just like one sweeping move that feels like the sweep of a paintbrush yeah no I like that I like there's a comparison I think I hadn't spotted that but yeah you're right yeah it's it's a it's a it's a it's a very Arsenal twenty twenty two twenty three goal. It's uh you know it's it's quality all over the pitch and uh, probably a bit, possibly uh, maybe I'll get pelters for saying this, but a bit of luck at the end. Um, you know you, it's important to have luck, and that's and that is in no way taking away from from us this season. We have had we've had moments of luck. You know I'm not saying you know it it all can't you make your own luck one hundred percent, but also we have had. You know the Reese Nelson moment, the Jorginho moment goes and get off the back of Martinez's head. We've had those moments, um, and they are they are absolutely important to to win a title. He said it. Um, the Odegaard goal, uh, it's just so composed, it's so nice. But, but I wanted to close out uh, the first part of the show um, just talking about the return of Jesus because 
it's really important. It's really important and it's so nice to see him. I loved our away fans. Frank, Frankly, I think our away fans are some of the best in the league. They are charting. Uh, it's easy when you're top of the league, but I also think, you know, even in, in seasons gone by, they're so good. They're so loud. It sounds like a home game. They're charting for every single player. Keep going. They're, Ramsdale made a mistake. They chant Ramsdale's name. I love it. Like that, that properly makes me feel all tingly and warm inside. Um, but uh, Brad, I'll come back to you. Like we've handled not having Jesus so so well you know and if we consider there's certain games and especially when we look at that 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 bench now um it's looking really tasty it's looking really really tasty and and, you know it's also great to see him back i think what he gives us obviously it's kind of been well covered but just that extra bit of space that ability to invent something in the final third that inketia is very good he's very good at his job and very good at what he does trossard has a number of skills that I th- well he's just that ball retention that we talked about earlier but Jesus just sort of ties it all together and of course he uh, allows us that sweet moment of uh, seeing him miss a big chance um, but but he's just you know it's so good to see him back to be honest and that's kind of <laughs> kind of the main thing he's not a particularly sophisticated point it's just great to see him back yeah and the, and the thing that you have to consider as well is the way that it, t- talking about how we handled it is we're in exactly the same situation I think we've missed pretty much the same amount of games we've lost him for as as we played with him and you know we're we're sat we're still five points clear at the top of the league and in the time that he's been away we've got away to Brighton and won you know we played a difficult fixture against Newcastle and Drew we've got away to Tottenham and won we've beaten United like we've that the way that this is handled it we were we were fed this story that Asked, this was the moment that Arsenal drop off and fell away and we we're in the exact same situation if you'd have gone to any Arsenal fan when the Jesus injury happens and said to them okay by the time Jesus is back you're level on points with City I think most yeah, people have taken, taken it, it. Right. I really do yeah. yeah I think you're right we're in the exact same situation as as we were when he when he left like that's unbelievable by the club but the return of Jesus, I don't think, can be underestimated. Like Papa Wenger would say, it is like a new signing. It is. You know, it's it's an injection of all the things that he once had. And it's just squad depth coming into a congested end to a, to a season, you know. And excellent squad depth at that. And I would be damned to say, if I didn't say that, if City lose Haaland for the amount of time that we lost Jesus, they're nowhere near us. Nowhere near us. I think you're right. I think you're right. George. So, like, unreal. Very quickly. Uh, Jesus is good. Um, Done. <laughs> you know, when you Thanks have... Thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much for listening. Um, That's it. Look, I, I think the biggest thing that you can say is kind of stuff that Brad's already talked about, how we didn't miss him. Uh, when you have a look at the sample about him being gone... And the fact that the team didn't miss him is is huge because what he offers is that gas peddler. He is a guy that when the game is gritty, when the game is not happening, when you are being doubled up on, he offers himself as an option in any area of the pitch. And he's a gas peddler. He increases the tempo of your team. Gas and pedal. to have that... Gas it, <laughs> exactly. Um, look, he, God, he, he is... 2012, yeah. He is an excellent player in his own right, but in the in the moment, we also haven't really seen his finishing ability for quite a while. Uh, I know we make a joke about it, but he is somebody that in the box has 
had probably the most touches prior to his injury than most strikers have had in the league. And just having that chaos around your front line creates chances for other people. That's something that we haven't had. And so I think beyond the big chances missed, beyond him being an option, the touches in the box is something that I'm most excited to have back because I don't know if we've always had that number in the box yeah. as we've had recently. And I and I do I honestly I have faith. He what is he? Twenty five. I think I do think the clinicalness will certainly improve. I'm, I don't think I don't think Jesus will ever be the kind of you know Harland level killer. But I think yeah. that will improve as as he as time goes on. And I think ultimately, when you don't miss an individual, we don't need him to be. Like, well, we've got three. We are the only team with with more than uh, what with more than a single player on ten Premier League. Goals. I mean, it would be we nice. Three of them. <laughs> if, if Gabby Jesus, no, but is in. If Gabby Jesus got ten to fifteen Premier League goals this season, the goal kind of burden shared across those four yeah, players sort of, of Erdegaard, Martinelli, Saka, and Jesus, like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I I agree, and I, I just think realistically, when you don't miss an individual of that quality, it tells you how how fucking good this system. How is, fucking guys. good you are at football. How fucking good this system is, guys. Guys, you're how so fucking good. good you are at guys, playing football. So you good. stick to the principles. Bradley Adams, I will see you after after this, guys. We will see you after this, guys. Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views are mostly ours. Thank you to those of you who are in the Different Knock Members Club. You can join too at patreon.com forward slash diffknock and get access to ad-free versions of all of our content. Are you a member, Brad? No, you're not. Which includes main podcasts like this one, bonus podcasts, instant reactions, the rewatch with Rohan Jivan, and bonus video content for just £3 a month, less than the price of a coffee. Speaking of coffee, if you want time support, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash diffknock, but you can... Foggin, buy me a coffee, guys. Buy me a Foggin coffee, guys. Buy me a coffee. Um, wanted to start with a brilliant tweet. I, I think it's really good from a brilliant tweet. A M. Oh yeah, fucking classic. Fo- football, I think. Am on football. Am on football. Anyway. Oh, is it? Is it A M on football? Yeah, he's verified, so he must be a big deal. Arsenal's- oh, I, no, no, no. I thought it was. I thought it was at A Mon. Football, as in Alex Moneypenny football. You can view it that way if you want. I've n- AM on I've football. Ne- that's really interesting. No, I've never read it as that. Amon on, yeah, you could read it both ways. I think Amon football. Amon. Very interesting. Anyway, Amon. This is this is radical, dude. This is top quality content. It really is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Our reviews again in the toilet what did again. You, what did you listen to <laughs> last night? Oh, I listened to these two guys just. Just disagree and misunderstand Twitter handles. <laughs> oh, great. Sounds, sounds cool. <laughs> Arsenal's wage bill. This guy, whoever he is, said, Arsenal's wage bill grew by just 7% between 2017 and 2022. In the same time period, Man United's grew by 45%, Chelsea's grew by 55%, and Tottenham's grew by 65%. George, obviously there is context to that. We've gone through a... 
rebuilding process. We've gone through a period of getting high earners off uh, off our wage bill. Uh, frankly, we couldn't afford to pay some people high wages. So there's, there is obviously a lot of caveats to that. But considering where we are, that is extremely encouraging. Well, the one thing that I'll probably add to the context part of that is how we've managed to keep our superstars on relatively cheap wages. When you start to talk about the uh, rumored contracts that are basically done with Bukayo Saka, William Saliba, um, and Gabriel Martinelli, which is done, um, to keep them all at the £200,000 a week threshold is ridiculous business. And that's part of the fact of us having that cheap turnover. It's not reflected in kind of that statistic, but it is huge when you start to consider what the knock-on could effect could be in future years because these guys deserve more. Look at their peers. Um, you know, I, I hate to say it and vocalize it, but we've really ripped them uh, of a deal here. And it, it's part of the process of making sure that turnover gives us the best possibility to go out there and get the best players. I think it gives you a certain freedom to create your business and do it very quickly. I think one of the benefits of us being the way that we have been this season is the uh, how fluid the preseason was. And a big part of that was getting your business done so early. And I think that we're going to see a very similar case over here where we actually have quite a bit of sellable assets as well. It's not just the fact that, you know, um, we, we've cut rid of free contracts, which, by the way, I think this is the first summer we have sellable assets. In that turnover, we haven't had big sales. I, I think the one big sale we had was Alex Awobi potentially in the last three, four years. Chamberlain and beyond that, maybe, yeah. And then Emmy Martinez, you can maybe argue, right? But um, beyond that, we haven't had big sales. So it's part of uh, making sure that the finances are healthy. I know nobody wants to care about that, but it does matter when you're not a state-owned club. And that's kind of the reality of what Arsenal are. So it gives you the flexibility. And I'm excited. In, in essence, we are stupid rich. We are going to be bullies in this transfer market, in my opinion, when the summer comes. And I think we will finally see some of the bragging rights of that work. So the fact that we have been able to keep our spending so low means that we're in an ability to capitalize when we can, which is after winning the league. Yeah, mate, I, I think that's well said. And, and I think there's a number of things that make this window. And Brad, you're going to love this. You get to talk about transfers. You like the it becomes a perfect storm right it's it's like in terms of our pull even if we don't win the league we know we're going to run it close so you know even if we don't win the league we and we know based on the way we play football that i don't think this is a flash in the pan i think this is least likely to be a flash in the pan we will be there next season we will be we will be at least challenging so i think for a young player or for any player i think arsenal are an incredibly attractive prospect especially considering the stability that we have um, I think we're going to have money to spend, uh, not only on wages, but on, um, you know, we, we'd have that anyway, but we're going to have some, um, as you said, some saleable assets. And we're also looking to upgrade in some key positions. So I think we've got a very, very exciting, potentially a very, very exciting summer window. And I'm sure as well, this is the thing, this is the thing is when you get stability and when you get a clear identity is you could start going, right, we do that transfer in 2024. We do that transfer in 2025. It's kind of thing. You can start to plan ahead because if you, as I always say, if you know, this is how I want to play from Mikel Arteta's brain. And he's going, this is how I want to play. This is what I need for my left center mid. This is what I need for my group of forwards, whatever. And how do we get there? You can start to make a strategy and start to make a plan. And I think there, if we win the league, Brad, 
I can't think of a more exciting project to join in world football. No, especially because the other kind of exciting projects seem to be kind of turning over. It, it's a real, it's a real, a real conjunction um, of turnover in terms of, of projects and, and leagues at the moment. Uh, Pep's not going to be around forever. I think his deal runs for another two seasons after this. Uh, with the way that Liverpool are going, Klopp's not going to be around forever and the shine has worn off of that project. Um, Chelsea are still figuring things out, whether Potter will still be there, whether the way that they run their club's still going to be the same. Nobody knows what's going on at Tottenham. You know, I do, the shit. And we have kind of burst through that smog as, as the shining light. If you look at the club situation going on right now, you go to Arsenal, especially because when you think about available minutes as well, if you're, if you're Declan Rice, rumoured to be our top target, and you have an offer for all of the traditional big six teams, they were all offering the same money, they were all offering the same transfer fee, whatever, you look at that and here you go, not going to start at City, would start at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Like just would and, and, and knows he'd be valued and knows, gonna, knows he'd be part of a proper culture yeah. and a proper football club. And, and this is not going to get Champions League. Similar thing with other with clubs. Jude Bellingham. Like, like yeah. people are saying, he's a shoe in for Liverpool. But I'm like, okay, if Jude Bellingham is offered comparative wages and Mikel Arteta can speak to him and say, look, here's the role that you have in our team, are potentially into the next cycle of sort of you know past past the Pep and Klopp era. I think we're going to have so much pull in this transfer market, and I'm. I'm very, mm. very excited. But on, on the outgoings, before we get to some questions... Bellingham would be such a stupid move for Liverpool. Dropping 100 million on... Bearing in mind they don't spend any money anyway, dropping their entire budget on one midfielder and they'll be wheeling out Jordan Henderson in a wheelchair to play the fucking six-row <laughs> next season. Like, fuck me. I've never heard... <laughs> Jimmy Milner popping his dentures in and going on to play 30 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Milner with a fucking Zimmer frame at left back going into the number eight for the final 15 minutes of the Fair game. Play to like, that guy, to be honest. Um, George, I want to come back to you on uh, uh, on some assets that we have to sell because, um, as you pointed out, it's an exciting time not only for the incomings but for the outgoings. We have some real saleable assets and I would say probably top of that list is is Kieran Tierney. I just, I have a look at him on our pitch. Um, I refer you to videos I made last summer telling you this was going to happen um but uh you know look he's just lost his identity at arsenal i feel is the, is the real summation of the thing i feel like he's lost his identity it's he's a great player in the right system in the right in the right uh environment i think he'd flourish um i hope he's his sort of injury worries and history is behind him we haven't heard much about that recently so that's can only be a good thing um, and I hope that continues. But yeah, he he feels like the most saleable asset. And I and I tweeted something the other day. I would be upset if we didn't get a record transfer fee for Tierney for a number of reasons. Because I think if he goes to Newcastle, Newcastle are the richest club in the world. Let, let's say Newcastle is the richest club in the world. We should be commanding a decent fee anyway from those types of clubs. We're unlikely to sell them abroad, I don't think. I think he'll go within the league. So it's, it's, it's you know, Premier League is its own market. He's a great age. He's got three years left to run on his deal from this summer. Um, 
and he for the right team at the right you know at a right price he could be an unbelievable signing so i don't want to see him going for anything less than we sold chamberlain for i think it was like 43 43 euros 43 million euros so what's that you know just, 43 just, euros in a twix yeah <laughs> and a packet of crisps um yeah i, I want to see a record transfer sale on that one um but yeah thoughts on tierney and thoughts on our on our other saleable assets potentially even balligan who's just scored his 16th goal in the league well for me that's that's the big one. Um, you know, I, I've talked. We've talked about kind of on the pod. For me, I still feel that cutting a Kieran Tierney at this point is cutting muscle and not fat. When I do look at some of our sellable assets, I think it's going to be a decision between, say, a Tavares and a Kieran Tierney. One of those two has to go. Um, Eddie and Kedia and you know Falerian Balligan. One of those two has to go. Um, Rob Holding, um, another player that is part of the fat that needs to be trimmed. Ainsley Maitland Niles. Got to go, bruv. <laughs> yeah. Scott go blood. Anybody knows that I have a certain feeling towards Rob. Like I think he's a great character, but it's time for him to leave. Um, you know, Nicholas Pepe, another player that is potentially leaving. Um, Cedric will be gone for free. Uh again, the right there we've mentioned six or seven players that could go, each with varying levels of fifteen to twenty-five million pounds, and uh one or two that could command you a fifty million pound transfer, whether you're talking about Karen Tierney. Or a Falarian Balogun. A Balogun, by the way, that is only behind, uh, who is it, Kylian Mbappe? And um, is there anybody else now after his goal, with recent goal with Rems? I think it's well, only Kylian. Let me look that, that up, that he's but tied he might with. be top. That, that's up. what I'm thinking, because he scored recently, and I don't know if he went above Kylian Mbappe, but you know he is at least competing for the he's golden joined, boot. He's jo- so it's Kylian Mbappe and Jonathan David with 19. And then um, Wissam, Ben Yedda, Balogun, and someone called Lacazette tied with 16. There Lacazette you go. has 16 so, league goals this that season. That tells you how ass that league is. <laughs> yes. Someone it, it, ne- no, someone needs to... That, that man is pissing the colour of Shrek right now with the amount of like anabolic steroids he's on. <laughs> Yeah. Fuck off! Is allegedly, that, allegedly, the color, you, the color of that allegedly. man, Brad, say allegedly. that man's piss Brad, say is allegedly. radioactive. Brad, say allegedly, <laughs> it, it fixes it. Um, no, but I, I think again, when you look at that in terms of a person in his contract situation, in terms of his age, Valerian Balogun is definitely somebody that you look at as one of the brighter ta- striker talents in the world. He is, and so what does that sell for? Well, we have experience of what that sells for in recent kind of windows, and it's not under 50 million pounds. It just isn't. So for me, there's a lot of questions to ask. Again, I will make the proposition, what does a Declan Rice do to your team? And does that help a Kieran Tierney type of profile when we talk about all these evolutions down the line? Sure, in the moment, it's something that we're seeing that Kieran is a little bit sidelined, but do acquisitions in the future build your assets up? You know, we talk about Gabriel Jesus, he has built Gabriel Martinelli's profile up for sure. It was always a talent that we had a lot of faith in, but the next step that he's taken this season doesn't happen, in my opinion, without a Gabriel Jesus. So when you do buy signings, there are players that kind of open yourselves up. I do think it's just a matter of making sure that we make decisions. And beyond that, there's definitely 75 to 100 million pounds of sellable assets, in my opinion, that this squad has rather conservatively. And so when you look at that, it's exciting. Um, it will have to be a decision, though, in my opinion, between a Tavares and a Kieran Tierney. I don't think you get rid of both and then want to recruit two left backs when you've got Alino Sousa in the academy who is bubbling, who is ready, who has that exact profile that everybody wants us to get, but is still one to two years light. So you do would need you to need make to a recruit decision. two? 
if you sold Kieran Tierney and Tavares, surely you'd then only recruit one. Uh, well, I'm not two left backs, but I'm assuming that we still want a right back, for example. So we have oh, a yes. full back uh, a want already. And, and that's also not, not speaking about Brooke Norton Cuffey. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts for me that He's having a bit sense. of a stinker in the championship, boys. Absolutely. And so you, you ask, okay, is this a case of us finding the right loan, like Valerian Balligan? Um, is that a case of reviving a career? We don't know. Tommy Asu, is he a center back? There's a couple questions that I think need to be asked here. And, and it could explain why we've maybe targeted a Fresneda. For example, I will just end on saying Declan Rice plus Fresneda does point to a left back that is bombing on. A Fresneda is, not, is somebody that can absolutely provide a dynamic overlap, but he is somebody that will stick in the middle third of the pitch. He, he is that kind of profile. So when you add those two, are you pointing towards something else that has more consistent wide deliveries? I don't know. I'm describing a certain Scotsman that's probably got the best. And then the question also becomes, do you want to improve Newcastle, who many may not consider to be a rival? But what does that become with Alexander Isaac and Kieran Tierney? I'm yep. just wondering. It's yep. not something that I'm happy to see. Trippier, Isaac, and, and, and Tierney is a, is a real, could be a kind of Trent Robbo situation. Um, yeah, I, I suppose, you know, looking at the development of the team, I, I, look, I wouldn't rule anything out with Arteta. You know, I'm as as possibly, uh, I've definitely said before on this podcast, I'm not sure Jesus has found his final position at Arsenal. I'm not sure Martin Odegaard's found his final position at Arsenal. I'm not sure Saka's found his final position at Arsenal. I think there's all sorts of things that could possibly happen. And if we're looking at that 2-2-6, you know, we, okay, towards the beginning of the season, we're in a 2-3-5. I thought the kind of box midfield was to cover for Jorginho and Zinchenko, which I still believe, but also I've seen it persist with Partey so interesting I don't know maybe it's without Jesus I don't know so there's all sorts of dynamics that we could have a look at and you know if 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 I'm looking at a profile of a left back that I want do I always want Zinchenko in my central zones in my six if I'm trying to break down a low block probably not I want Kieran Tierney on, on my on the on lane lane five so yeah it's it's certainly a question it's, and it's mentality isn't it if his mentality is still in it He's great to keep. If not, and you can get fifty million from Newcastle, do it. That's. I think that's what the tech kick because he's good enough to play for us. One hundred percent. He's one hundred percent top player. Um, just a little rundown from the London football Wolves lads. Kraken player. He's he's Scottish, but that's fine. Uh, just a little rundown from London's football awards twenty twenty three. Uh, Bradley, who's the goalkeeper of the year? Um, Kepa Ariza Balaga. It's Aaron Ramsdale. George, who's the Premier League player of the year? Um, if it's not Saka, Willian. probably Odegaard. It's Odegaard. Um, Brad, who is the Premier League Young Player of the Year? Um, Christian Pulisic. It's Bukayo Saka. <laughs> uh, and George, I'll come back to you finally. Who's the Manager of the Year? Oh, it's Graham Potter. It's, sure. no, it's Potter Clock, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mikel Arteta. I mean, that is a clean sweep, baby. <laughs> 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 that is ridiculous. Uh, right, let's do some Questiano Ronaldo's then, shall we? Oh, uh, Brad, definite question for you here. How good is Miles Lewis Skelly? And does he have a future in our team from at Kepunya? Um, I'm pretty sure he's asking you that. So I'll come to you, Brad, because that's definitely a question for you. Fucking sell him. He's shit. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> George? Go on, George. <laughs> you love the kids. <laughs> Um, in no uncertain low. terms, it's 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 yes. It's um, I've gone big on him. I I have said in the past he for me is our best talent. Even before this whole 
uh, Ethan Winery situation had cropped up, I had said, for me, look out for Miles Lewis Kelly. Uh, you know, Ethan's going to get the plaudits because he got the cameo, but for me, Miles is somebody that is uh, a crazy player. Um, with the, even yeah. in terms of the Ethan, hail. Miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so strange names. I think their last you names are better. So um, George, is, George is DMing them. All right, all right, Ethan. You're right, mate. You're right, Miles. You should, you should, honestly, you might get a response. No, they probably know who you are. They, yeah, yeah. Given how much I propped them, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, they've got a restraining order against me. It's uh, actually okay, yeah. a reason I can only go on podcast <laughs> and, and, and do it. Uh, but no, look, uh, on, 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 uh, on his profile, look, people have talked about how they feel these two kids are probably some of the best talents that Haaland has produced, period. Um, on him, particularly he's a six eight uh he's somebody that is definitely uh, akin to he's a six certain eight. Musa. god he's fucking massive <laughs> oh, i was gonna make that joke i just thought i've, I've, I've shown him did too much already <laughs> on, um, he's, uh, he's akin to a certain yeah he's akin to a sort of musa debele profile from spurs which for me is exciting i hate the fact that he played for spurs because he is one of my favorite players in the premier league era um and I just think that his ball carrying ability is supernatural combined with his passing range and quick feet in tight spaces. Everybody has seen the videos of his surging runs. I don't need to talk about that. But uh, the last part is he is such a leader um, just off the pitch as well. You know, even in the Hale End documentary, if you guys do watch it, I would encourage everybody. It's free on YouTube. He is a huge leader in the community abroad. It just shows what kind of a mental uh, kind of base this boy has. He's special. Um, there's not many more superlatives I can say uh, to it. I, I think he is an incredible prospect and he is very close to the first team already. At some point, I think we should do uh, maybe a special episode or a bonus episode looking at potential um, academy players and, and asking your your opinion on them because it's, it's great you're so across it. It would probably be just me and you, George, because Brad, you can be there if you want, but <laughs> just be Brad going, I like his name. <laughs> I, I, know some, mate, I know some of them from Footy Manager. <laughs> I give him cup appearances. <laughs> Crucial. I don't think Lewis Skelly actually exists in Football Manager. Well, then he doesn't exist. No. Uh, at no. Krog underscore AFC. Neither does no to be fair. Says, does Gabriel Jesus actually walk back into this team where Martinelli is scoring goals again and Trossard seems to be setting them all up? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, I, yeah, he's just he's a, our best attacker. Yeah, like <laughs> he's just a very good player. <laughs> like it's kind of yeah. I I, I think he's got to be managed, and I, it sounds like he has been managed and possibly was ready for a, a game or two ago. It sounds like he has been managed by Arteta because uh, he was doing his all. When I look in his eyes, if I see he's ready, he's ready, then I can do that. Um, but I just feel like if you have he's Jesus, very romantic Arteta, isn't he? Oh, he so speaks in that tone, looking so in players' eyes. Did you know um, where he's he? from? I think he's from San Sebastian, right? From the Basque country. Yes, Basque country, so. right? Yeah. That has the highest percentage of Michelin star restaurants per square foot in the entire world. Wow. That was your useless stat of the day. Let's you go, boys. You the three of us. Lads on the mate. And like, retrace <laughs> the steps of Mikel. Oh, that'd be so good. Imagine a little podcast, little podcast series of us. A little YouTube series of the three of us following. Yeah, just obsessed with Mikel Arteta. The, the different just find, dark travels. Yeah, then we just find George like staring at the academy players. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think on Jesus, I think I think he yeah he 
he's got to like I, I don't know whether he will play every minute and I think it's it's really exciting to have different options off the bench and have have different players who can go in different zones and mm-hmm. swap swap around and stuff I've loved the combinations between Martinelli Trissard I really liked the look of Jesus and Nelson I'd love to give that a go that looked like a nice little combination um on that left hand side uh no where did he come on Nelson was started on the left, then went to the right. Um, but I thought he looked good with um, with uh, with Nelson there as well. So look, I just think when you have a player of his quality, his experience, and his his energy, frankly, um, I think you just he has to start for me. Any disagreement, boys? No, no, no good. not really. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you got so uh, many players on the left now. Fucking Nelson's sick. Trossard's sick. Martinelli's sick. Like what, these are the days, boys. I think they recovered, Fucking didn't up. they? They weren't they weren't ill on the weekend. Oh, you! Prick. Hi, guys from Amir at AFC Amir Eleven says hi, guys. Why do you think we are so much more controlled and composed away from home as opposed to at home? We don't concede away much at all, but do at home? Question mark. In my opinion, the players get too emotional at home. What do you guys think the reason is? Scramly grapples. Uh, I think teams open up more at home than they do away from home so it becomes more about the opposition that you're facing Arsenal are always going to play the game that we're going to play whether we're home or away we're not really going to change what we're attempting to do other than if we're coming up for example against the Manchester City we're going to approach that game differently than a Bournemouth than a Wolves but Teams down the bottom end, especially uh, when they are at home, they do try and play slightly more progressively because they feel confident being at their home ground. And I think that plays into the hands of a bigger team because it, it gives them more space. It gives them more time. It gives them more ways to attack and to penetrate rather than Bournemouth coming to the Emirates. They played very, very, and I, I mean, different managers, so it's also very differently, but they will play games very differently at the Emirates versus at their shitty stadium. Hey, um, nothing wrong with Dean Court, mate. <laughs> so I think that's, that's playing a part. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as much about um, emotions as it is about the fact that opposition teams will probably open up more. They'll seek to be more expansive. They'll seek to try and do more with the ball because to to Bournemouth and to Wolves and to Everton and to all of those teams. The mentality is you have to win your home games and if you can snatch a result away from yeah. home, you'll you'll be safe. I buy that. I buy that. And I and I think that's definitely ele- an element. But I, I think I would include... Oh, it's a soft factor, yeah. I would include the emotional part of it in it. I'm interested in your thoughts, George. Like, I think, I think there's got to be. Like, in a team of this age, in a team of this experience, in a team chasing its first league t- title in 20 years, with the energy and the... What's being to use an Arteta word, transmitted to the to the stadium from the team and back and vice versa, there's got to be an emotional component to it. And I wonder whether there's a kind of, yeah, just a slight sort of wired, dreamlike feeling playing at the Emirates at the moment where you're kind of just like, oh my God, we might actually do this. Uh, it, it's tough for me because I, I kind of tend to word to lean towards Bradley's conclusion in a, in a sense of what's the difference between a home game and an away game. Um, because I think the emotional aspect is something that the team is probably going to have to contend with regardless. Let's say at home you want to impress your fans, but then away you might be emotional in terms of being hit. Last season that was definitely the case. You know, A lot of away teams felt that you could kick Arsenal 
off the pitch. And if you were a little bit physical, you could get at them. And, you know, our home record wasn't the greatest. And I felt that sometimes our line wasn't as high. I think the big MVPs of this season are the press and the high line. That is much more pertinent away from home than it is at home because people that come to the Emirates definitely are happy to camp in their own half. Arsenal will play that way regardless of where you're at. But in terms of what stops transitions, that becomes a lot more prevalent for me when you're away from home. And I think that's kind of the case even in cup competitions as well. When you're away from home, the risk of transitions are greater just naturally. Um, and I think that has a sense of, as Brad said, you know, home teams tend to want to come out a bit more. Um, so the type of game that we're facing is maybe more of a low block consistently. Not that we don't face them away from home, but just if you were to pool all 11 wins um, and you know, compare them with home wins. Um, I would say that there's more instances of us facing a low block at home than there is of that away from home. Um, and I think that's kind of the difference for me in, in why we've found success. Because the press, the 1v1, and kind of the box midfield are all things that stop transitions. And we don't face those transitions as much when we're home as we do away. So, yeah, no, I, I buy that. But you're also saying that you think my conclusion is wrong. So you're off the podcast, both of you. <laughs> that's it. We had one job. We had we had a good time, but unfortunately, when you disagree, it was with a me, good run. <laughs> no, I, George, I, I buy that. I really do buy that. I, I I still I still do think there's a there must be an emotional component, but I don't necessarily have a particularly uh, cogent argument for that yet. Uh, Bradley, I think there's an there's an emotional uh, argument, home and away. I don't. I think yeah. it affects the team home and away. They they are yeah. currently probably what Man City were before they became the robots that they are. In that, then th this is new, and when you experience new shit, it's exciting, and it's emotional, and it's you know it's all of these things, and it's fun, and it's free, and we live. And it's radical, dude. And we laugh and we love. Bradley, we have just, just, ooh, have just. We? Hang on. Mm. Yeah, go on, just for you. Ooh, yeah, no, we we've got time. We've got time for a little bit. George, I'm going to come to you with a theme in a moment, please. So don't do it, Bradley, and forget about it. The theme was grounds where we have won the Premier League. And my question to you was, in what two seasons did Arsenal win the league at White Hart Lane? Great content, this. No, just no, no. Listen, I'm just trying to think of the two guys. The, it's the first one. I've got one. the first <sighs> one. It's in, it's in 2004. That's the first one. But that's the easy one. It's... Um, well, that's what I mean. Like, the actual first one is in. When did we win the, like, the first one? Because it wasn't... <sighs> it, 2004 is the first one. I'm going to give you a clue. Uh, we didn't win the league after, there after You are correct on 2003-2004. And the other yeah, one was in yeah. the 70s. Yes, yeah, I was about to say. It's not... Oh, God. It's early. It's got to be early. Go like, on. Like, in between 70 and 75. Oh, God. Bang on, Brad. I'll double up. There we go. <laughs> Bang on. 1970-71 and 2003-2004. Very well done, chaps. Uh, the theme for this week was Benny White, White, White. And your question is, in what hospital were Benjamin White, ben White. <laughs> and the different knocks Alexander Moneypenny 
both born. In what hospital <laughs> were Benjamin White and the different knocks Alexander Moneypenny both born? I don't think you could have got an least football football related question possible. I don't care. It's a shame that Ben White hasn't achieved as much as I have this 25 years, but you know, he's getting there. He's getting there. He's so, got a tramp stamp now. He's got a little butterfly. Has he? Well, listen, yeah. you know, if he works hard, he can get somewhere in life. Um, uh, like me. Sat here talking to you boys. <laughs> About Ben White. About I'm Ben so White. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. I love, I love the fact that Ben White just hates football. Yeah, such a vibe. Such a vibe. He just doesn't give a fuck. Give a fuck. Uh, George, the theme, please. Um... I even warned you. This is Brad you really levels. Did. You really did. Okay, here, we'll go on like youngster levels. Uh, who is Miles the... Lewis Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> the theme is Miles Lewis Kelly. There we go. The theme, the theme is youngsters to make an impact on um, Arsenal's first team. Youngsters. So Miles Lewis Kelly. Impact. We're gonna we're gonna on first team. Just assume. I'm almost <laughs> definitely gonna make that about Miles Lewis Kelly. Um, okay yeah it's like has he had an impact has he how many appearances has Miles Lewis made for Arsenal's first team uh, right then boys pleasure as always to chat to you we'll be back after sporting for a little instant reaction on we Thursday and then we'll be back for a main podcast on Friday then we'll be back for an instant reaction on, on the Sunday and the content wheel continues following Monday anything to add boys we will Nah. No. Brad, what, any plans off this? Uh, I'm going to go to sleep because I'm fucking shattered. Okay. I've got another day of George, any plans? Tomorrow. I think dinner. Dinner's on the table. It is It is <laughs> oh, very early oh, here. What are you, I'm, what I'm, are you having for dinner? What's, what's dinner? I think dinner is going to be like a steak. Not to be pretentious, but a steak and oh. some asparagus, maybe. Some, How is uh, a steak pretentious? I don't know. I got told that recently. I, I said I was going to go steak. Pretentious. Has somebody cooked yeah. the steak for you? No, I'm cooking the steak. You're cooking I, the steak. I'm Who told oh, I'm you a steak, steak is pretentious? <laughs> how how do you take I, your steak? Medium rare, of course. It, it must be, and on, and on a charcoal grill. Maybe that was probably the pretentious part. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My butler has to has to stroke it four times before I put it on the grill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It must listen to classical music and be yep. stroked every hour on the hour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you whis- whispered sweet nothings too. Um, yes. I get Mikel to talk to it, actually. Um, but yeah. Well, if you want, I can do for Mikel. I look in the steak size. I look in the muscle fibers. Do you think it's funny that I, I have Mikel Arteta's number? Are you ready to be cooked? One day, I, I just am going to call him on the pod. It's so funny. My my. A, He's not joking. He does I have Mikel's number. Do. On my A's on my phone, it's like <laughs> random people, Bradley Adams and Mikel Arteta. <laughs> Which is really the... The list of dreams. Right. We've just sent him a text. Chatted enough waffle. He just like, who the who the fog is this? And then you just see blocked. <laughs> who the fog is this? <laughs> who the fog is this? <laughs> well like, mate, you liked a quote tweet of mine. Keep up. How mad's that? Anyway, I'm just chatting waffle, right? Thanks always for listening. Yeah, we need to go. Keep it <laughs> Keep different, it. knock, and we'll see you later. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. 
please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at Diffknock. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.